Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. We are in the middle of a series that, quite frankly, I thought would be kind of fun. I thought, you know, it's summertime. It'd kind of be, we typically go a little bit deeper in the summertime months. thought it'd be fun. thought it'd be easy to put together. And it has been challenging. It has been great, but it's been fun. And you ever just read the Bible, specifically the red letters, something that Jesus said, and you're like, say what? what are you, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like when he makes statements like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? Or if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom. It's like, what? I mean, Jesus could tell some confusing stories or even we call them parables that would just make people question, what is he, I, what, I, do you know what he said? I have no idea what he said. But these kind of pointed statements that we're, we're talking about and we've been working through, this is week three of the series. You can go back on YouTube, our YouTube channel, and, and get caught up if you've missed some of them. They were made when there was a big crowd following and, and people were trying to get Jesus' attention. I love you, Jesus. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. I want to hang out with you, Jesus. I'll just go with you. And Jesus, in those moments, would say, you know what? You really need to count the cost. I'm not sure I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. I, I'm not sure you really mean that. Truth be told, following Jesus will have some great benefits. You get to see miracles. You get to see people healed. You get to spend circle time with Jesus where he's just teaching you and, and his closest disciples. But it's going to cost you way more than what you think. So Jesus would make these statements, and they're kind of confusing, and they're kind of pointed. And the crowd there that day would go, say what? Before we get to our story today with Jesus, I want to actually begin in Genesis. I don't know if Jesus was referencing back to Genesis or not, but I think it is two stories that are actually pretty parallel when you think about what Jesus is asking the crowd to commit to. And you don't, you don't need to turn to Genesis. I'm just going to kind of retell the story, give you some context of what goes on. In Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to a man by the name of Abram, who would eventually become Abraham. And he says to Abram, or Abraham, he says, follow me, and I'll make you the father of many great nations. The problem with that, Abraham was an old guy, and he didn't have any children at the time. And so for the next 10 chapters in the book of Genesis, from Genesis 12 on up to 22, it represents about 25 years of time where God still has not answered that promise of follow me and I'll make you the father of many nations. And so finally, Abraham has a son. His name is Isaac. And one of the more famous stories of the Old Testament, I mean, this is way more famous than when Ezekiel gets naked and digs a hole through the wall of Jerusalem. You probably never even heard of that story, right? Okay? God asked Abraham to put his son of promise on the sacrificial altar. The son that Abraham thought would be the answer to God's promise. The son that Abraham had waited on for 25 years. So Abraham builds an altar, ties up his son. He's ready to sacrifice him, and God says, wait, stop. I just wanted to see if you really love me that much. I just wanted to see if you'd follow me. You're like, come on, that's crazy. I mean, what if the angel was ADD? You know what I'm saying? And you sent him to stop me, but then he's like, oh, look, a duck. You know, I mean, what if the knife slipped? Come on, God, that is crazy. But that is Abraham kind of faith. 
that's even celebrated later in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham is the patriarch of the nation Israel. Isaac would have Jacob, and Jacob would have 12 sons, and those 12 sons would become the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. Fast forward in history, 2,000 years later to the time of Jesus, and his ministry is in full swing. He's doing miracles. Massive crowds are following him. I love you, Jesus. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. And people left and right are trying to see Jesus. They're trying to impress Jesus. Which takes us to Luke chapter 14. Now, the story gets told in two Gospels. Matthew tells it. Luke tells it as well. Luke chapter 14 is where I want to look at this say what moment. Luke 14, I want to start with verse 25. And it says, here's the context, a, loud, a large crowd was following Jesus. There you go. That's, your, that's the context for what's going on. There's a lot of people, I follow you, Jesus. You're awesome, Jesus. I mean, it's almost like Jesus was almost like the big top circus comes to town. Not that it was crazy or whatever, but like just people would come and they wanted to see Jesus do miracles. They wanted to see Jesus do the miraculous. They wanted to hear him teach. Feed us, Jesus, about breakfast. I love you, Jesus. I'll go anywhere. So a large crowd was following Jesus and he turned around and he said to them, like, I don't know if he's annoyed by it. I don't, I don't think so. But I mean, just everywhere he went, People were following him. People, Jesus loved people, but he stops this moment. Remember Forrest Gump when he's running? You know, and he's out across the desert, and he finally just stops, and there's this crowd following him. He just turns around and says something. I mean, Jesus is walking one day, and there's this crowd. Oh, I mean, Jesus. And he just stops, and he speaks to them in verse 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, even your own life, otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Say, what? Like, I just read that out of the New Living Translation. It's kind of the translation I read the most. It's one of the newer ones that, that try to make it theologically correct, but also so that we can understand it in our modern language. But the New Living takes the punch out of it. The New Living explains what Jesus is going after as you go along with this. It knocks the edge off. Let me pull it out of one of the older translations. And I even went back into the original Hebrew. Not that I can read Hebrew, but went back. And, and this is what the older translations say. I didn't grab it out of the King James. I used the New King James. And it says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, like the New Living says, by comparison... Hate your father and mother, but that's really not what Jesus said. He said, if anyone does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Like the King James would say, hateth noteth, you know, if you read it in that. Well, like, whoa, 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 Jesus. This is harsh. I mean, I understand the whole sibling rivalry thing. I get hating brothers and sisters. I'm with you there. But mama, can't hate mama Jesus. I can't hate mama. I can't do it. And he says, verse 27, if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Say what? We're going to explain just the context of how heavy that statement was. I started this series with John chapter 6 because it really, John chapter 6 really has the dialogue. Jesus, this is a really hard saying. Who can accept it? That's what I think about when Jesus says you need to hate your mama. You know what I'm saying? I don't get you, Jesus. You talk about, I need to love my neighbor. I need to love my enemies. There's no greater love than this. I mean, the theme that Jesus came to carry was love, love, love. And now you say, hate your mama? 
Like, I am so confused, Jesus. You want me to hate my enemies, but now i got to hate my mama. That's why this is hard, right? This is hard because this forces us to evaluate our lives. And self-evaluation is tough. You know, some people are like, oh, no, I'm really hard on myself. That may be true for you, but does it produce any fruit? Unless you hateth noteth your father and your mother, you can't be his disciple. That's hard, Jesus. That's hard. Verse 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction without, of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish? The harder things that Jesus said, there would be a big crowd wanting his attention. They would be pushing through to, to get to him and, and count the cost. And Jesus is saying, listen, you need to stop and evaluate. I love you, Jesus. I'll follow you anywhere. I don't think that means what you think it means. And so this hard statement, this say what moment, he's really pushing that crowd to evaluate some things. First and foremost, we need to evaluate the cultural influence on us. Peer pressure. Do you care how you look in society? Do you care what your neighbors think about you? Do you care what your standing is? Do you care what the culture around you thinks about you? I want to go back to 32 AD-ish, like when Jesus was alive and his ministry was in full, full bloom. There's a crowd there. Most of the people who were following him, we don't know exactly the demographic makeup, but most of the people that were following him were Jewish heritage. They could quote the prophets. They celebrated the Jewish festivals. They knew the Jewish law. They felt the burden of those 316 laws that they had to keep. Part of the Jewish culture was that the center of that was the Hebrew family. The family was central to the Jewish culture. I mean, it's a nation that was split by, by family. I mean, you had the 12 tribes, and that was one big family. And they would split it by clan and then, and then by family. Now... In American history, right around 1800, the Industrial Revolution really began to take place. And the Industrial Revolution is when factories started popping up. And so you had the invention of steam power, steam engine, and, and electricity pops up on the scene. And so now they could begin to build factories and they could make cars so much faster than one guy making it one car at a time. And they could make shirts and pants faster and they could make pots and pans and they could make all that so much faster. And because of the factories that were built, people left the farm life and they moved to urban areas. So instead of having a garden or raising goats or cows, instead of raising how I survived and the food I ate and my livelihood, now I just moved to town and I went to work at one of the factories and I earned a paycheck and I would take that paycheck down to the corner grocery store and there I would buy the corn that I would eat, not grow it. There I would buy the beef that I would eat and not raise it, okay? So a lot of us more mature folks in the room might remember a TV show called The Waltons. Remember The Waltons? Good night, John boy, right? And so The Waltons was a picture of the agricultural American family. You had the kids, you had mom and dad, but you also had grandma and grandpa, three generations all living in one house, and they were closely knit. They ate their meals together. They worked the fields together, right? Today, we don't, we don't really understand that because 
that's not, the, that's not the rhythm of the American family now. We're just not as close as we were 80 years ago, but that's the way it was 80, 100 years ago, and especially in 32 AD when Jesus lived. The Jewish family, like there might be six, seven homes all right there together that were all family, uncle, aunts, cousins. Like cousins probably felt more like siblings. Because it was such a close-knit family. In the festivals, you're commanded to celebrate that together with your family. Now, I don't want to say that the crowd was younger people, but it was people who were young enough and mobile enough to follow Jesus that they physically had the energy. They physically were able to um, go from town to town and town and follow him. The older folks, the grandparents, they weren't, they weren't going to do that. They were, they were going to stay back at the home. So the people that were there hearing Jesus talk about this and teach this, they were the folks that had the physical energy, the physical ability to travel and walk with him and go wherever he would go. It was the younger generations, if you would, that would go to see Jesus and see the miracles and hear him talk. And they were so impressed by what they were seeing that it would just inspire them. I love you, Jesus! I'll go with you wherever, Jesus. Only to go back to a good traditional Jewish family who didn't hear Jesus. They didn't see Jesus. They weren't impressed with Jesus. They don't even know who Jesus is. And they would go back to their good traditional Jewish father and say, I'm going to go follow Jesus. And he'd be like, no, you're not. You're getting up at 6 a.m. tomorrow. You're going to work. They would go to their good traditional Jewish mama. Mama, I'm going to go follow Jesus. She'd be like, no, you're not. You're getting married, and then you're making grandbabies for me. That's what you're doing. Forget this Jesus stuff, right? And so you have to think about the culture that Jesus is speaking to, a very close-knit, family-centered culture. Even Jesus' own family thought he was crazy. Even Jesus' own family didn't believe. John 7, verse 5, it says, For his brothers, his own brothers, didn't even believe in him. So Jesus was pushing against the culture. He was pushing against the peer pressure that would be around you. I know it's cool today. I know I just did a miracle. I know I just fed a multitude. I know I just healed a guy. I know the crowd wants to see the show. I know it's easy today, but the culture will reject you if you really and truly follow me. People are not going to like you if you really and truly Follow me. Matthew's telling you the same story. He says, by the way, the culture's going to think you're demon-possessed. The culture is going to hate you if you truly do become my disciple. Jesus, you might want to change your approach because this is not going to grow the crowd. It's just not. It's not good for offerings. People are going to stop giving Jesus if you talk like this. This is not a good... Like, there's no church growth strategy on Jesus' business plan here. Like, you don't want to follow me. Your family's not going to understand when you tell them, I'm going to go follow Jesus. Your good Jewish father is going to disown you. It means no more inheritance for you. Are you sure you want to follow me? Because Jesus says, you really need to stop and pause and count the cost. I find it interesting that Jesus was not trying to grow his number of followers. He was trying to grow the faith of the followers that, were, that he had. Not a real good growth strategy, Jesus. I mean, even one time Peter rebuked him. So Jesus, like, don't, don't talk about going to the cross. Don't talk about dying. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. Well, unless you hate your mother and your father, your brother and your sister, your own wife. 
Jesus is getting you and I to evaluate how much we really care about what the culture thinks about us. Because I think even in America, we're going to be stepping into a new era where the culture is going to push hard against Christianity and the morals and the values and the biblical standard that God calls us to. Like it might seem cool today, but it's going to be costly tomorrow. Secondly, Jesus is asking me to evaluate this internal conflict that's going on. Moments like this, say what? Moments like this, really, really kind of go to the heart of, what do you really believe about Jesus? Almost feels a little bit like funerals. You know, what do you really believe about eternity? I mean, it's easy when you're alive and healthy and, and you know, we think about eternity, but, but, but what do you really think? I mean, deep down, in, I'm, not, I'm not talking about what comes out of your mouth. Like, what do you really believe about this life? If you think this life is it, that when you die, it's over, probably not worth following Jesus. This moment, this say what statement just highlights this constant internal struggle about eternity. I don't get you, Jesus. You tell me to love my neighbor and hate my mama. Moses said we need to honor our parents. And Jesus, now you say I need to hate him. I don't understand it. And so there's just this internal struggle that's really going on. That's why this is hard. Which is it? Honor my parents or hate them? And this question, this moment goes right after the question of do you really think there is more after this life? Is there really an eternity? Is there really a heaven? Is there really eternal life after this life? Because if there's not, YOLO just got real. I mean, if you don't know what YOLO is, it's not the candy, it's you only live once. That's a hashtag, like when you, before you do something crazy, like jump in a cold swimming pool tomorrow, you yell, YOLO, and you just do it, because you only live once, right? So if, G, if this life is all there is, YOLO just got real. But I think we as Christians need to start a new hashtag, YOLT. You only live twice. Ha! Start freaking people out. What? Yelp, baby! This puts pressure on this internal conflict that every living, breathing person has to address. What do I really think about this life? It, it puts the good in contrast with the great. Okay? Because the good is, is this life. The good is YOLO. The good is mama's peach cobbler. You know what I'm saying? But the great is eternity. The great is spending forever in heaven and paradise and living forever with Jesus with no more tears and no more pain and no more sorrow. The good is making the most out of this life. And if, there's, if this life is all there is, you know what I'm saying? I ain't going to make mama mad. I, it ain't worth it. That is not good, making mama mad. That's bad, very, very bad. If this life is all I have, I don't want to upset my good traditional Jewish father because that means I lose my inheritance. And I need my inheritance because I'm going on a seven-day Caribbean cruise. I need you, Daddy. But if there is a greater that is coming, if there is a paradise, if there is a heaven, is there in an eternity I'm willing to push away from some things in this life because I know when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing. I'm sorry, I'll quit. I mean, it really does make you decide. 
Is this life all that is this life the good or is there a greater life, a greater eternity that's coming? That sh- if there is a greater, that should drastically change how I live this life. All of a sudden, daddy's inheritance, it would be nice, but I don't want to trade heaven for an inheritance. Mama's peach cobbler, man, it sure is good. But I don't want to trade heaven just to keep mama happy. Don't tweet that. Let's just, let's just, that's between us today. This say what hard moment. It really forces you to evaluate that internal conflict of, is this life all there is, or do I really believe that there's an eternity where I get to spend that with Jesus? At least you hateth not your father and your mother. He's asking you to evaluate how important is it for what the culture says about you and and what the peer pressure around you says. How important is it what you believe is is good versus great? And then you have the third evaluation, and it's, it's... the thing. It's the point. You need to evaluate the cost. Count the cost. Every time Jesus makes one of these hard coming at you, say what? Pointed statements. He's trying to get the people who are following him to evaluate the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. One of the things I I love doing is, I love sports and I love doing PA announcing for various Sporting events. Time out on the floor. 60-second timeout. You know, or baseball. Love doing baseball. It's fun. Man, there's nothing like a beautiful March evening when the sun's setting and the smell of fresh cut grass and, you know, that bad, number 13. You know, I, I, just, I just absolutely love that. So I, I, I do piano announcing for Ulagop, and um, we have a three-day basketball invitational tournament where we invite teams to come, and our attempt is to invite teams that aren't as good as us so we can win our own tournament. It's a little secret there, by the way. Doesn't usually work out like that. So, so anyway, so it's a three-day tournament. So it takes a lot of time from the coaches and administrators and, and the people to all make that happen. So because they are there such long days, we have what's called a hospitality room. And it's where the coaches and officials and VIPs and the announcers, we can go in and grab a snack because it's always just stocked with food and drinks. And they'll even feed us meals in there, like they'll have lunch and dinner and stuff. And then there, one day I was in there in between games, and there were two teams that were warming up, and I think they had a 20-minute warm-up time. And so I was starving. I needed some food. And so I'm... And at the table, I'm sitting at the table with one of our principals and, and one of our coaches. And then there was just a kid from high school that was there, but they were paying him to be there to just kind of help take up trash and clean up bleachers and just be there to work, do small ins-and-out type things. The problem is he'd been in the hospitality room about two hours. You know what I'm saying? And so we're sitting there at the table, and the principal asked him, he goes, Justin, what are you doing up here? And he said, I'm just up here working. Y'all, sometimes I can't help myself. I mean, the Bible says to take captive every thought. I didn't even try. I didn't even harass that thought. I mean, it just came, flew right out of my mouth. Oh, I'm just up here working. To which I said, Justin, I don't think that means what you think that means. I mean, I just... Not sure what you think up here working means, but it ain't sitting here for two hours eating cookies. That ain't working. Love you, Jesus. I'll follow you anywhere. <laughs> I don't think that means what you think it means. No, Jesus, I really, I mean, I really love you. I'll die with you, Jesus. Pretty sure you won't. Pretty sure when the temple guard shows up to arrest me, you're going to run off screaming like you just saw a mad mama skunk. You out, you know? 
I love you, Jesus. Mm, you better count the cost. Yeah, I think Satan, the enemy, the old Lucifer himself, he's the father of lies. Right? We, Ephesians calls those fiery darts. You know, these thoughts that are deceptive. Typically, they're about yourself and how you're not worthy and God couldn't love you. But I think the enemy throws lies at us and, and deception. And one of the lies that I think comes from the enemy is that if you follow Jesus, your life will get easier. I, because for years, we used to kind of blame the church for that. You know, we used to blame the televangelist TV people. And maybe they are. If you'll plant a $1,000 seed into my ministry, your life's going to be great. But I, I just, as I, I was thinking about that, and I was actually preaching this a long time ago, and, and there's this kind of, there's this idea that if I follow Jesus, my, my life gets easier. But I don't know that I ever can ever remember a message, even the TV guys. Maybe you can, but I couldn't ever think of a sermon, a book that I read, a, a TV evangelist, evangelist saying that if you follow Jesus, you get free ice cream. I just, I've never heard that. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say that. I've heard a lot of messages that say the counter. So here's what I think happens. I think the father of lies, old Lucifer himself, I think he throws those fiery darts into our mind to make us think that if I follow Jesus, if I surrender and give my life to him, that there's this lie that all of a sudden my life gets easier. I think in many ways our life gets better, but it never gets more comfortable. And Jesus is, he's going out here, there's this idea, if I follow you, Jesus, it, it, will, it will be awesome. I'd get to see miracles, Jesus. I'd get to sit in circle time with you, Jesus. I might even be a little famous. If I could sit at the right hand of the Father, it'd be great, Jesus. You know? And you get to hear him talk all the time and teach, and, and Jesus knows you, and you know Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't think that means what you think that means. You better really know the cost following me. You better really evaluate the cost of being a disciple before you make the promise that you're not willing to keep. Following me, not saying it will, but you better be prepared. It could cost you your entire family because your good, traditional Jewish father is not going to want to hear the gospel about Jesus. Your good, traditional mother He's going to come after you with a wooden spoon, and it is not going to be pretty. You know what I'm saying? Your mama ain't going to like this one bit. So you, you, better, you better really know what you're getting into. There's no promises of free ice cream. All there really was is a promise of forgiveness of sin and eternity in heaven. And then he says this in verse 27. If you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Going back again to culture. We get this. We understand this. Place yourself in 32 AD. This makes sense to us, to them. Eh. I mean, we have crosses hanging around our necks as jewelry. We have cross pictures of crosses or, or crosses hanging on our walls in our home. We love crosses. We sing about crosses. We have stickers of cars or stickers of crosses on our cars. This makes total sense to us. 
Because we keep reading the story. We have the advantage of knowing what the cross means to us, that Jesus had to carry his cross up a hill called Golgotha. We know that when he got tired, a Roman guard had to get somebody to help Jesus carry that. We know Jesus was brutally nailed to a cross. He shed his blood on that cross. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's why we love crosses. But I've never once in my life ever seen someone with a necklace and there's an electric chair pendant hanging on that necklace. Those earrings are so awesome. What is that? It's an electric chair. Okay. Is that James Avery? I don't even know. What, you know? I've never been in a home. Oh, that is just a beautiful picture of a death chamber. Where did you get... Is that home interiors? I don't even know if home interiors is a thing. But, you know, I just got to get... That, that, that would be the equivalent to us today. Jesus said, unless you carry your own electric chair, you can't be my disciple. The cross was a symbol in 32 AD to the crowd that said, I'll follow you, Jesus. The cross was a symbol of shame and embarrassment, and it was despised because the Romans used it to instill fear into the people they had conquered. It meant you were guilty. It was a tool of torture. It meant you were on death row and you were the worst of sinners. And Jesus is telling you to take up the cross. Unless you take up a despised instrument of shame and embarrassment and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Say what? Like we get it. We love crosses. We see crosses differently. We're on the other side of the cross. To those standing there. This is a really hard saying, Jesus. To us, it makes sense. The 32 AD, Jesus, the, you're just, you're crazy. Again, this creates tension. This kind of really puts the Bible, not at war with itself, but it just creates this very healthy theological tension that we all have to carry and we all have to address. Salvation is free. Following Jesus costs you everything. I'm so glad salvation is easy. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus the Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. That's pretty easy to do. I'm so glad that salvation is easy and free because if I could buy salvation, then only the rich people could go to heaven. Only the people who could afford salvation would get in. I'm so glad I cannot earn salvation because if you could earn salvation, only the people who were physically able to do the work only the people who had the mental capacity to do the work would get to heaven. I'm so glad the Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whosoever can afford it. Whosoever has the physical ability to go earn it. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God's eternal life through Christ Jesus, through our Lord, it's the great. Now, it's interesting, when, when I write my sermons, I use word, and word was kind of screaming at me about this verse. It, it's got some unnecessary grammar in it. And so, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, it had free gift underlined. When you move your mouse over, it says, you don't need free. It's redundant. A gift is free. Here's a $20 gift. That just don't make sense. But Paul, when he wrote Romans, wanted to make sure it was clear 
and you understand that salvation is a free gift, you'll never be able to afford it anyway. You'll never have enough physical ability to, to do the things that the blood of Jesus on the cross can do for you. So, what do you do when Jesus asks too much? That's what makes this hard. What do you, what do, you do when Jesus asks too much? Will you be willing to follow him? Will you be willing to follow Jesus the same way that God asked Abraham to follow him? And Abraham put his most beloved, waited for, treasured son of promise on the altar. The son that would make him the father of a great nation. Do you really love God enough to trust him with everything? I think in this moment, Jesus is saying he's calling us to Abraham kind of faith. Abraham put Isaac on the altar and you need to be willing to put your life. It could cost you your family, your daddy might not want to hear it, your mama going to get after you with a wooden spoon. Unless you have faith like Abraham, you won't be willing to follow me because this is going to get hard. 1985 America Christianity probably wasn't real hard. 2023, 24, 30, might be more challenging. This might get painful because you might walk through some pain of losing someone that you love. Will you still have Abraham kind of faith that says, God, this hurts, but I trust you anyway, and I'll keep following you even though I don't understand why. Culture, almost going to be angry at you. Some of you, your family ain't going to want to hear about you, Jesus. But you have to believe there is more than just YOLO. What do I do when Jesus asks too much? I go back to John 6. John 6, 60 said, and there were many that deserted him that day. Are there some of you watching? Some of you in the room? Some of you not in the room, not watching. That two years from now, Jesus, church, spirituality won't even be on your radar. That's a hard question. Some of you, just like Abraham, for 25 years, 35 years, 45 years, just still believe. Many deserted him, and then he looked at Simon Peter, and Simon Peter said, to whom else would we go? You alone have the words of life. What do you do when Jesus asks too much? Some turn and go the other way. Church, I'm begging you to find Abraham faith. It says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And if I don't ever have to talk to my brother again, I'll just blame you, Lord. You know what I'm saying? That's not funny. Don't laugh at that. That's not good. All across this room, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here today. Maybe you sense the Spirit of God pulling on you. You're not in right relationship with God. You read this say what moment and it creates tension in your life because maybe you've been focused on the good, but today God wants to call you to the great. 
Salvation is free and easy following Him. You have to be willing to sacrifice and give Him everything. Here's the gospel, plain, pure, simple, and free. That all of us, every one of us have sinned. There's only one person that ever lived that hadn't sinned, and that was Jesus. And he was good enough and qualified to make a way for you to have relationship with God. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And if you would just have the faith to believe and confess with your mouth, God raised him from the dead, and you can be saved. So I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. Maybe you're watching online. There's nothing magical about these words we're going to pray. I just believe it's the best way to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe God raised it from your heart. And so if you're here with me in this room, maybe you're watching online, and you need to just pray this prayer. You need to come home. I'm not going to embarrass you, ask you to walk the aisle. I'm not going to ask you to talk to anybody. I just want you to have a very open, sincere conversation with God where you do business with him. Are you ready? Right there at your seat. If you know you need this, just pray this prayer. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, come to you today because I need you. I may not understand all of this, but I'm taking a step of faith. I don't want my old life anymore. Would you come into my life? Begin to change me. Would you save me? Today, Jesus, I completely surrender my whole life. One more moment. Every head's still bowed, every eye's still closed. Nobody's looking around. Please, don't, don't move. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer with me, I promise I'm not gonna embarrass you. I promise you don't have to talk to me. I, I, just, I just wanna know. I wanna pray a quick prayer for you just to follow up. Do me one quick thing. Just boldly slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around. Just slip it up real high. Anybody here today? Slip up that hand real high. Okay, in the back. Anybody else? Slip it up real high. God, I thank you for hands and hearts that are stepping into grace. God, I th thank you that salvation is free gift. Lord, I pray also messages like this cause all of us to evaluate. Am I falling more in love with Jesus today? Do you really have my all? Is my life really impacted by the grace and the gospel? We love you, Jesus. And I thank you for your mercy and your grace and your second chance. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray and everybody says, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus the biggest praise you got, all right? Amen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.